Hello everyone and welcome back to Spontaneously Candid with me, your host, Harjot Singh. This season, if you've been keeping up with us, I've had the opportunity to talk to some amazing industry folks we all know, but we would always like to know better. Um, if you haven't heard the episode with the amazing Claire Beale, that was our most recent episode. Before that, we recorded an episode with Cindy Gallup, so make sure you tune into them. But, um, you know, we're just keeping up the, the same kind of tempo. And today I'm joined by one of the industry's most revered creatives, Susan Creedle, Global Chief Creative Officer and Global Chair of FCB. Now, here's the thing about Susan. She's an absolute powerhouse, and that is not an understatement. So most importantly, the thing about Susan, for those of you who know her and those of us who've heard of her, me included, and more on, you know, my fascination with Susan a bit later into the program. But Susan's so guided by a very strong um, moral compass for the, you know, just, just that's probably the best way to sum it up, that really drives Susan's quest to infuse the industry with diversity and she does it like none other. As the first female chairperson of the One Club for Creativity, Susan champions rising creative talent and advocates tirelessly and fearlessly for industry inclusion. So prior to joining FCB, Susan spent 20 plus years at BBDO, um, and then she was previously CCO of Leo Burnett USA. And during her time at FCB, Susan's led the team to its strongest performance at Cannes, yet being named Global Network of the Year. Susan was also named on, she's accomplished a lot, but just a few things. She was named on Ad Age's 100 Most Influential Women list, Business Insider's Most Creative Women in Advertising list. She was a Matrix Awards honoree and was inducted into the AAF's Hall of Achievement. I am so thrilled that Susan is joining us today. So without any further ado, Susan, welcome to Spontaneously Candid. Thank you so much. I can't wait to see what this does. What, what happens? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like I would say before we recorded, I have somehow I feel that life has been preparing me to record this episode with you since 2000s, since the early 2000s, because that's when I was at BBDO, young sort of mid-level planner, um, kind of doing my thing. And then I would just, you know, I was based in China in those days and I'd just see your name on these emails with like, Alan Rosenschein, Phil Dusenberry, David Lewis, Andrew Robertson. And then there was this name, Susan Creedle. And me sitting there in Shanghai, I'm like, well, this name doesn't sound like the rest of them. <laughs> this is the person I want to know more about. So, <laughs> but I would just always look at that and go like, oh my God, it was just a name on an email for me. And then very early on in my career, you know, I remember coming to Cannes once in early, early 2000s. And then I saw, I said, oh, is that Susan Gradle? They were like, yeah, that's her. She was, you were there. <laughs> it was like, oh my God, I want to go and talk to her and ask her something. Oh, she looks really busy. I'll wait my turn. But then the turn came in 2022. Here oh, we here are. we are. <laughs> <laughs> but really, I mean, after that, I left and went to Leo Burnett and that you were there. And somehow, you know, I've just followed your career without knowing and have followed your work and I'm a fan. So I'm just so happy to be here with you. And I know many of our listeners um, love and adore your work. And those that don't will get to know you very quickly after this. So that we're sure of. But um, thank you one more time for making the time. But I want to start right at the um, beginning because 
I feel like that's a way we start with all our guests because so much of what we end up doing in life is sort of preordained by some of the choices we make, some of the lived experiences we've had, just formative years kind of have, are called formative for a reason. So we like going back to the beginning and, you know, just say, you know, what can you tell us about how it was when you were growing up? What was childhood like? What was family life like? Because, you know, is there, how did your upbringing help build your foundation um, as a leader, as a creative person, as this huge personality and uh, talented uh, person that you are in the industry? You know, it's interesting. Back as far as I can remember, I always loved um, acting and being on the stage. And I think it's because I'm, a, I'm very, very shy. I'm, I've, I've worked through it um, in the last probably 20 years, but very shy. And I always found that being on stage, it wasn't me. It was the character. And it allowed me to go places that in reality I was very uncomfortable and I tell a lot of people, you know, that I'm not Susan Cradle, the global chief creative officer. I'm just playing one during the day. And so I think this sort of acting, and it's not that I, I'm not real, but I do think this being able to put myself into a role and live up to the role or try to li live up to the role has helped me a lot. Um, I also remember being very hard on myself. I can remember being five years old and our neighborhood was putting on a performance of Cinderella and I can still remember being frustrated about, is the stage right? I mean, I'm sure it was somebody's patio, but I was worried <laughs> yeah. about the staging of it. And then I wanted to be Cinderella, but I wasn't sure I was going to be able to beat all the other girls in the neighborhood. And I'm five years old and worried about audi auditioning and putting on a play. <laughs> so <laughs> the pressure of getting it right or trying to be the best or, yeah, to, to make something come to life, uh, I think I've always enjoyed it and been stressed out by it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's such a great combination because I can relate, you know, even personally, because this idea of, I think when you are navigating something from an unfamiliar space and place, um, you know, you do need to have some level of awareness and detachment simultaneously. Um, yeah. and, and I think that that's really helpful because when you are a persona, a character, and you're out there, I think you have a clear awareness about this is who I am and a real detachment from the fact that I am not the situation. I am not what's going on over here around me. So I think that's really beautiful because it allows you to kind of operate from a space of immense creativity and authenticity. And it's very, very contagious. So I, I love that you share that because I think it's... Um, uh, it's 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 very very compelling. I was going to ask you, hey Susan, do you, was there a moment when you felt like you know what this is what I want my career to be? I'm a really creative person. This is what I want to do full time. Was that a kind of a moment when you look back and you say you know what? It was kind of a tipping point for me. I knew then, in retrospect, that I was going to do more of this. I yeah. I mean I like I said, since I can remember, I've always thought I would do something creative. I can, I can remember singing in the tub. I mean, you know, I couldn't have been more than five or six. And I remember thinking, maybe I could write songs. Maybe that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write songs when I grow up. So I weirdly always was thinking about how could I show up as an adult in a creative world? I, when we would go to the beach in our early teens, a friend of mine and I would sit in our 
room all day long writing skits and at night we would perform this we would put the skits together and perform them for the adults you know so we were, we had our own little SNL sort of thing and I I remember you know saying things like I don't think we've landed the joke yet I don't know what I was talking about I don't know, know where that came from but there was a pressure there was a joy in being creative but also very much a pressure to live up to something and it's that duality that's hard in this business is you know it, you want it to be joyful all the time, but it's also, there's a lot of pressure to get the creative right, you know, and it's so subjective. So, um, yeah. And also so much of it is about, you know, not just get right, but secure the 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 value of creativity because more and more i love this i was reading up about you so i i love this um quote where you say that my belief and this is for our listeners i'm quoting susan while she's looking at me my <laughs> belief <laughs> my belief is that we're not only in a service business but we also make a product i love that you know and that our product and the ideas that we create must be an economic multiplier Creativity that does not activate business short-term and build brand value long-term becomes an undervalued commodity. I never want to see creativity undervalued. I think that's just brilliant. It's literally everything everyone needs to hear right now. And so I'd love for you to, you know, talk to our listeners about that passion and that drive that's embedded in that sentiment. Um, and and in within that is buried your narrative and your point of view on the current and future state of the industry. So let's talk a little bit about that. We don't, we don't make creative work just for building our, our own reputation as an agency. I grew up believing that creativity has an economic value. It's not just about, oh, that agency does really cool creative. If we're not doing it on the things that build the business, we're devaluing creative. Um, and then, you know, for a long time, I, I used to say, I think award shows have become sort of the hot couture of, of the industry, which is it's work that was done outside of the challenges of big business. Um, and I think that that has hurt our business a little bit because, number one, I don't think we get paid for great creative. I think if you look at the ways the, the industry is rewarded or, or, or valued financially, it's FTEs, it's, you know, scope, it's, but not creativity. And if we aren't paid for a great creative product, we won't attract talent to this industry, or at least creative talent. Creative talent will go somewhere else. And then the next thing you know, the thing that we make and put into the world, people are trying to get away from, not leaning into. Whereas, you know, when I was growing up, the advertising we were making I would go to a cocktail party and they say, what do you do? And I would say, have you seen this? And they would start, you know, vamping whatever creative I had put out there. And then I didn't have to say anything else, you know, and, and I want us to get back to our best creative product is loved by the people, yeah. not our industry, not just our industry. And if we can make advertising something people look forward to and get excited about again, you know, we, we ensure that our industry will be healthy and strong. And I do think that, you know, I was fortunate when I was coming up, Phil Dusenberry, who was the global, the global CCO when I was at BBDO, um, he just said, Susan, what we do is content. And he said, yes, we do short form and we have some rules with it when, with 
in which we have to build our content, but it's just content. You're not competing with other advertisers. You're competing with other content. So be as interesting as possible. Um, and it was a great lesson early on to, to not be in the frame of mind of, I want to have the best ad. It was like, I want to be, I want the work that we put into the world to be as interesting as the sitcom we're in or the editorial that we sit beside. I mean, I, early on, I was like, I want my print ad to be pulled out and put on a cubicle or refrigerator as much as, you know, the, the article that's being written. Mm -hmm. No, it's true because I'm going back so many years. And um, I remember at a, what was then a BBDO like town hall, because it wasn't like after COVID where we've had town halls on teams. Those were different in those days. I, for the first time, heard this idea of us competing with the attention economy. And I think you're very right, because that, that was the understanding that anything that competes with our attention is the competitive space that we're operating in. So we have to be interesting and we have to be compelling and we have to be memorable. And so the currency of creativity has always been about captivating imagination in that way. And the interesting thing is in our business, it's towards a commercial interest. And of course, there are other, um, um, you know, priorities as well, which are now more and more meaningful and they've become a business imperative as well. So you can't be commercially interesting if you're, if you don't have a point of view on more important things in the world, like sustainability and inclusion and equality and all of those things. If you're not, then those are a business imperative as well. So I think it's a very interesting space in which um, the industry is moving. I want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, just your own role as a creative person and a creative leader and in our business, you know how we call people a creative. Um, so how's that shifted um, a, as a creative person? Are there parts of the day-to-day -day creative work that you miss? Are you still involved? What's, what, what do you do now? I would say that the journey was like, started with you know, a creator of ideas. That's when I first got in, that's all I wanted to do is create things. And then I think as I started to lead more, I would say I became a champion of ideas. So not my ideas, not creating ideas, but championing ideas that I thought would have value in the world. Um, and I would say today, I'm probably more a champion of people. I love so, that. you know, I think my success I owe to all the successful people around me. Um, and I, I have this visual, I love, you know, how, when a football team wins a game and they put the coach up on their hands, you know, and the coach is up in the air. And I always like the coach is up there and all these teammates are pushing them up into the air. And I, I love to look at that visual and go, but what happens if the team, the teammates, the players aren't there with their hands, the coach falls very quickly on his butt on the ground. And that's, kind of how I feel about where I am today is that I get a lot of people like you saying, oh, you're famous or you, you're the great creator. I was like, no, I just got a lot of people pushing me up in the air. And, um, you know, I'm thankful for that. Yeah. But, you know, Susan, we both know people don't um, support people that aren't um, uh, worth being supported. So, um, you know, that's, that's also a thing. You are brilliant at what you do. And I think what's interesting in this to me and to our listeners, it is Yes, you're a champion of people because you know how that feels. You know what the impact of having someone who can champion a person is 
on their life and on the lives that they will impact in turn. So, you know, I want to go to that space with you. And, you know, so obviously this is something that you have experienced firsthand and have learned that this is a, you know, you develop a leadership style from having imbibed certain things. Uh, was there someone in your career, a role model, a mentor that encouraged you? Were there any people that stood out for you? Were there any kind of like very critical moments in your career where you're like, you know, that's when I knew that that's the impact of being a people champion. I think you you learn a lot by trial and error yeah. and by having things, like you said, that you've experienced that you liked and then you experienced that you didn't like. And I've had leaders who have encouraged me and also discouraged me, the same leader, you know, and learning from that. There was a, there was a moment in time, though, that I think it was a book called The Art of Possibility, written by Benjamin and Rosamond Zander. And there was a part in there that talked about, and again, not to be a Pollyanna, or, but talked about when you believe in people, they, they show up their best self. And I had always struggled because I, BBD was pretty tough in, in, you know, the eighties and nineties. Um, it, it was, they said healthy competition, but it was, it, it could get cutthroat. Yeah. And, um, this art of possibility was talking about if you believe in people, can they live up to that belief? And when you, st and I, I actually tried it one time, I realized I was giving a certain group of people a lot more positive vibes when they came into my office, I was already thinking the work was going to be great. You know, and I was like, ah, they always come in with great ideas. And then I realized that there would be another group of people and I'd be like, oh God, this is probably going to be a long, hard meeting. So I was already coming in with a mindset of failure for one group and a mindset of success for the other. So I decided to try to shift that attitude that I had about the people that I didn't think were going to live up to my expectations and the next year they won gold at Cannes. And like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't nurturing them, you know, over, over nurturing or suffocating them, but I just tried to find positive things to say about their work. And the more that they started to believe in themselves, the better they got. And it was just a really interesting lesson of leaning more into finding the strengths and supporting those strengths and then taking care of those weaknesses. Um, and we, we do it today, uh, at FCB, we, we have a rule that we all help each other and where it's a culture built on generosity, because if anyone helps anyone else be better, we all look much better Yeah. and it's contagious. Um, it's really interesting that, and, it, and at first it's really hard because we're wired to want to keep things to ourselves. You know, I'm not going to share a good idea. I don't want you to be your best. And and the first time you do it, it is terrifying when you just go, I'm going to give a great idea to my colleague. It's, it's, it's hard. And then you do it and you see the outcome and you do it again and again. And you realize that you're not losing, just more people are winning. Yes. And yes. it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. Um, and I, we talk about it and like, if you create a culture of scarcity, you live in survival mode. Exactly. You create a culture of abundance. You live in a generosity mode. Right. And that is something that we consistently tell each other all the time. And it's hard. I mean, I, I go back into survival and scarcity all the time and I have to go calm down. There's enough for everybody. Exactly. 
let's all be our best. So, yeah. and it works. It does. And, you know, I think it's, I always believe this, you know, I just love what you're saying because it's deep down it resonates, I'm sure, with our listeners, even with me so profoundly, uh, personally, because, you know, it, it is true. What you appreciate does appreciate. You know, that's, that's, that there, hence the saying, what you appreciate appreciates. <laughs> and um, it, it is that because I think what you're saying and what I love is that when you're operating from an abundance mindset, when you are, you know, championing people and sharing success and sharing ideas, you're creating more room for more good creative ideas and more brilliant thinking to not just, um, you know, uh, thrive, but to even be, get be, happen. So because the, 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 there's just more space that way. So more, more magic happens when the conditions are such that are conducive to magic happening. And that's when everyone believes that they can. And what's more magical than knowing that you can achieve anything? Yeah, I think, too, we did this to our industry. If you look back over, I don't know, you go back 20 years, maybe 30, um, you started seeing this. It, it felt like we were always tearing each other down. Like if you were a traditional agency, you were wrong. If you were a digital agency, you were right. If this oh, was yeah, the, yeah. And, and I was like, the conversations got so we became so inside and destructive to ourselves Versus, and I'm feeling this energy now when I talk to my contemporaries and, and, and colleagues that work at different agencies, we kind of have agreed to try to lift each other up. Like if I tear down an agency or a network, I'm really tearing down the industry. Yes. So we should get rid of those negative conversations of they're terrible or they don't do it the right way. How do we say, here are the positive things that are happening. Here's why we're important. Here's why this industry deserves to be taken care of and respected. And if we stick together, I think it will happen very quickly. But I think we got so used to thinking that the competition was about each other and trying to be in, you know, I, I just, I think we compete in two small arenas. Like I would like for the industry to compete, like we were saying earlier with all other entertainment industries. Yeah. So let's be a place that people like go, I want to go into advertising. They did such interesting, cool things. I, there's a story and I don't know if it's true or not, but I love it, which is that there was this um, bicycle shop and they wanted to start to make people think more about the performance of a bike, not just something that you ride around your little town in and, you know, get some, a loaf of bread and a bottle of wine. But how do we start making it more of a performance story. And they decided to have a bicycle race. And people started to get interested in like, oh, what does that bike do? How can I get up the hill faster? You know, what are gears? So they did it again. And every year, you know, they got more and more people interested in, in, in biking as a, as a performance sport. And today we call it Tour de France. And that's what I like to, like, it's so cool to think when you go to work, in the advertising to go, what could you possibly create besides the ad or the, the piece that you have to do today? How's it going to build into something that's your own franchise, your own enterprise? And those are the conversations I wish we were having. Um, 
versus advertising's dead. <laughs> oh, exactly. This, we need to have more expansive conversations because the only people who are saying advertising is dead, I think, are ourselves because it's, this, is, this is the thing that just I just don't understand. I was just, well, I do understand. And, you know, this is why we're kindred spirits because I'm like, well, it's only dead if you act like it is dead, if you proclaim it dead. And we're being programmed to fight among ourselves because that's exactly how, um, you know, um, it's, it's to, not to our greatest advantage, as you say. In the attention economy, if you're going to be a dominant force to reckon with, we actually have to all band together. It's collaboration, not competition, because that's going to increase the size of the playground per se. And I love that because even if you think about how share price, I mean, we're in a commercial business, like share price goes up when the sector goes up. You know, you can't have like uh, uh, an agency doing well in a declining sector. Exactly. So, um, it's, <laughs> it's just common sense. I'm like, I mean, so yeah, I'm so glad we're talking about this. But the other thing, you know, that is very striking to me about um, what you said, is this idea about recognizing the potential and having an instinct for it. And this is, again, such a change um, and something that we've experienced firsthand where, you know, can you make an idea because you see potential in it? Or do you need to have clear, um, you know, results and performance and just know that it's going to work before you actually do something interesting because that way you're just going to do something that's already happened or know that this may work and the same thing happens with people. Uh, uh, what's your take on this, Susan? Because uh, I really want to talk to you about this because you strike me as a leader and I know this firsthand from people who worked with you. Uh, Susan's a potential person, not a performance person. She sees potential in you and then she's going to give you your next job and give you the bigger project and tell you you're going to do this because I see the potential because then everything that comes with potential is an incentive everything that comes with performance is a compensation so what's your strategy in like recognizing potential and how are you creating that not, uh, understanding for other leaders yeah I think you know first of all it's a sure thing is kind of boring you know, you know like, <laughs> yeah. okay and by the way I don't Someone think anybody has is that. I've met people that are incredibly talented that I've watched fail. I've met people that I didn't think knew what they were doing and in the right place they're succeeding. So I, I, the, there's a surprise and delight of watching somebody succeed beyond their expectations, beyond your expectations. It's a great feeling. I remember, so I was a secretary. Well, first of all, I was, I gave the receptionists their bathroom breaks at BBDO. So that was my first job. And then I worked my way up to being a, a secretary for a creative uh, team. And, you know, I, when I finally became a junior copywriter, I made a promise to myself that I would pay it forward. So I was going to find somebody in that position and lift them up. And there's this guy, Peter Alsante, who was my um, secretary. I guess we called him secretaries back then. But anyways, he was, he was my secretary and I watched him and he was so funny and so creative and he's now, I think he's still at BBDO, but he's just, you know, a great writer. He does a lot of the um, Sandy Hook uh, creative. Um, but wow, to see somebody sitting at your, you know, being, being your assistant and watch them have a fulfilling career because you gave them a chance. Again, it's like, what do you look back on your career and go, I wish I'd done more of, or I wish I had more of. And lifting people up and giving them the chance to succeed is None of those times do I have any regrets. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thought. You know, um, someone I love and admire, she once said to me, I want to be in as many movies as possible. And I have never forgotten that because I've adopted that as my own. And it's beautiful because she's like, she said to me, she says, you know, when you're 80 years old and you're sitting in a rocking chair, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about your life. And she's like, have you ever stayed and watched a movie till the very end and stayed till the credits roll? Do you know what, Susan? Since I heard that, I was very young when I heard that, I have never left a cinema till the credits have rolled completely. Because the thing is, she was like, when you look at the credits rolling, there's produced, directed, actor. And she's like, but there are these people. Someone just did the hair. Someone just managed the craft truck. Someone just put the tape. Up. Someone just managed the dolly. And the thing is, it took all of them to make that movie. So she said to me, be in as many movies as you can. And because somewhere, somewhere you'll be, you would have written something. Somewhere you would have just bought the sandwiches. Somewhere you would have just folded up the chairs. But be in as many movies. And that's what I'm picking up from this. Because to me, that is what social and leadership legacy is, you know. To your point, um, your ex-secretary, now copywriter, you're in his movie. And so many other countless ones where they're like, oh, that's a great, beautiful way to put it. You know, it's just, I, I, I just, it changed my mind, world when I, um, heard about that. But let's go back to you. I mean, one thing we all know about our business is that criticism is something that is just part and parcel of, um, the game. You, you, you get rejection, you get criticism. I don't like this. I don't like this idea. Sometimes even I don't like you. You know, this is just normal. This just happens. It's only now that we've learned, oh, you can Marie Kondo what some of that feedback and keep what brings you joy and throw what doesn't. But before that, how did you observe people dealt with criticism and rejection? And how do you deal with it? How did you deal with it as you were navigating the industry? And what's your advice to teams that have worked tirelessly on a creative idea that doesn't get approved, doesn't move forward? Well, first of all, I didn't deal with it very well. <laughs> I don't I like it. Nobody does. Yeah. Not good. Um, I also think, you know, I, I think that you have to understand how do you create a safe space for, for yourself to be able to handle criticism? Um, I think as leaders, we could do an incredible job at helping people understand that when I say I don't like something or I don't think this is good, it's really about the work and getting to something better. And, and there might be goodness in that thing. One of the things that I think we do is when we hear a negative criticism, we take it at face value. I think people are very inarticulate when it comes to feedback. And sometimes what I hear is not, I hear specifics. But what I try to say is, no, this is a generalization. Something in this idea is not working for this person. They're pointing at something that I might not agree with, but somewhere this isn't landing. So don't necessarily take the specific, but take the general of what, why isn't this landing with a, another human being? And then they try to justify it with some kind of specificity. But I think in the specificity, we get confused. It's like, well, actually, no, this has nothing to do with the color green. So if you don't like the color green, it still might be a good idea, you know, but you're just killing it because you don't like the color green. I don't know if that's too obtuse or not. No, it, it's perfect. It's a projection. Yes. Yeah. And I think a lot of times with there's this one of my favorite 
childhood stories is the emperor with no clothes. Oh, yeah. And that's been my biggest fear in life is that I'm showing up naked and stupid and ridiculous and somebody didn't tell me. In fact, they made me believe that I actually looked pretty good and I was ready to walk down the street in, in public, you know, exposed, truly exposed. And uh, so when I think about criticism, I try to think about it as that's somebody actually trying to protect me, not hurt me. Is that the criticism is to get you to a better place. It might not be done the right way, but if you can, if you can take it as this is someone who is, is trying to help, even if it doesn't feel very helpful, criticism comes, even when you, when you do those 360s, you know, I don't know if you've ever had a 360 done. It's terrifying. And you get all this feedback back and it's, it's horrible. Yeah. And I was like, I, I remember the first time I did it, I was at Leo Burnett or had it done to me, I should say. And I was crushed, absolutely crushed. And what I realized after I gave it some space is that when you ask someone to help you get better, the first place you go is what you need to fix or correct, you know, and it's not because people are mean. It's like, God, if you could just not do this anymore, you would be amazing. Versus when you're already doing something great, people go, yeah, you do that fine. Whatever. <laughs> so again, I think thinking about criticism as coming from a place of wanting to be helpful, um, wanting to push further, uh, it, it, it helps a little bit. Um, and I, I think reframing it. Um, now, if the, if the criticism is coming from a selfish place of another person, that's not as valuable. If somebody's that's, criticizing you because they're trying to protect themselves. Which um, happens in our industry as well. Yeah, which is why we have to try to say, and, and I, I love, uh, Fernando Machado said this one time, uh, and I loved it. He said, Susan, I, may, I, I make bad decisions and bad ideas all the time. He said, I just don't talk about them. We just move on. <laughs> and he said, and I talk about all the stuff we get right. And I think, you know, that's another secret of, you know, you're, 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 you're going to get it wrong. And by the way, it's advertising. So don't worry about it too much. It's, it's not going to hurt. A couple of wrongs are not going to hurt your career. I mean, you know, if you keep pushing and keep saying, why did that not work? What did I learn from it? I'll do it better next time. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's what I, you know, I love it because someone else once said to me, uh, and she said to me, by the way, if you can, as you notice, I always preface everything that she said to me, because I've just been so lucky in my career. I've been helped by, I think an army of all of them have been women in my life. And that's really, it's, it's remarkable. And she once said to me, um, one of my bosses, and she said to me, you know, a bad day is not a bad life. <laughs> so a bad pitch isn't a bad career a bad ad isn't is it in a doomed career so i love that because it's perspective you know like this just happened now it's not meant it's not it's not a forever thing so okay well that's something i can totally see that helps people move forward but there's one thing I want to talk to you about, Susan, is like when people are starting out in this industry, again, I speak from my own lived experience and I'm not sure if you've had that as well. Before we find ourselves, before we find who we are and what works for us and what looks good on us, it's kind of like figuring out how to wear your hair and what's your, what's your color palette or what's your dress. You make some mistakes. You try on 
all sorts of things and you're like right maybe neon's not my thing you know so um in that journey we there are many moments where you feel the need to not be yourself because you'd rather just fit in than try and experiment with your originality and in our business it's just so important for people to lean into what makes them unique because this is a business that talks about again common sense point of difference right you know we invented that concept so how do you encourage talent because that's your legacy as well i know firsthand from people that love you and people that i love who say to me well susan is the fiercest champion of making sure that you stay original you stay true to who you are what's how what is that for you how would you well, talk about that to our listeners i would say you know what you're dancing around a little bit is the need for diversity in the industry and i'm not sure i quite understood that you know early on i do remember thinking when i was in a room full of guys i was like well i could be interesting cuz none of them know my truth or no nobody has the stories i have cuz i'm coming from a very different place so maybe that'll be an asset and um i think it was i think that i there's some things that i look back on and i think there's stories that a guy would have never written but once they once they heard it i think they appreciated it and you know they're human stories but human stories just told in different ways and so you know i'm very interested in people telling me how they would tell this story or how they would you know bring create this idea and again i think our brains there was there's been a lot of science that goes that when our brains see things normally as they expect them to be we kind of shut off we just move for you know move through it but if something happens that we weren't expecting we lean in it's curious there was a director i was reading about a film director one time and he so believed that that he he said like if he was if he was doing a location shot way back in the background on the street he would flip the stop sign upside down and he said not because i thought anybody would see it but he said i think your brain our brains are such mysteries that that brain might actually just be more interested in the shot because something feels slightly off mm. which makes me want to be curious about it and i think that's diversity of 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 creativity is it feels unexpected and in that unexpected it becomes more powerful yes that's where the magic is yeah i love that so Susan, you know, there's another thing I wanted to ask you because as you know, it's all going everywhere because I have all these questions. Okay, we know that um, you have a you love to act. I also know that you have a degree in journalism. So, let's talk about that a little bit. Okay. Um, the journalism bit. So, you have a degree in journalism. Many of our listeners don't know that. Well, now they do. Um, how did you originally become involved with the industry was was journalism something that led you into it well within the within the journalism school at the university of north carolina there was a communications department and as i got frustrated with the the beginning writings of journalism where they said that i was writing more like an op-ed person than a reporter and i was like well when do i get to write the op-ed pieces and they're like about 20 years into your career i'm just like that's just not going to work for me <laughs> Um, and they said, you know, you might want to try the communications um, uh, route uh, here. But I do. I'm so happy that I learned some of the basics of journalism, which is the importance of when you are 
when you have a voice that's public, um, you have a responsibility. And I think that I've brought that, I've tried to bring that with me in advertising is that we, we have, we are public voices. People don't choose, you know, it's not like a book where you open, choose to be engaged with a book. We meet you in the middle. We meet you just walking down the street. We meet you, we interrupt your life and we say things and those things are powerful and they have the power to help or hurt. They have the power to progress or hold back. Um, And so you know, again, getting back to the Tour de France, we have this incredible, if, if we have long vision, we have an incredible opportunity to build unforgettable things. But we also in our day to day have a responsibility, but also the opportunity to put things into the world that might make our world a little better. And that's, that's pretty incredible. It is indeed, yeah. And, 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 you know, this connection between learning to A, find your voice, B, assert your voice, and C, carry the responsibility of knowing that you have influence and bringing that into our business because there's just so much impact we can make with an idea. So just, I love that you brought all of that with you. But I want to take, make a quick turn to another direction okay. now because I also know that you have background in acting. And <laughs> so, so I have two things I want to talk to you about. So you have a history as an actor as well, and I'm dying to know more about this. So if I were to ask you, what's the best part you played? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't continue acting after high school and college, but I say, I would say in high school, my favorite was Lola and Damn Yankees. Mm-hmm. It was saucy and fun. And I was a little bit of a conservative, you know, teenager young adult. And so to be able to be racy and sexy and taunt the boys was, it was, that was a ton of fun. Uh, I got to play Wanda June and happy birthday, Wanda June, uh, Kurt Vonnegut's play. That was interesting because she has like a three page monologue, you know, and you're, you're 12 years old and you have to memorize a lot, a lot of language. And I remember one night I forgot I just completely forgot like about a half a page into the monologue. And I was like, I don't know how to pick it up unless I go back to the beginning, but I can't go back to the beginning. So I just did a tap dance on the stage and in my head, I went back to the beginning and then picked up where I forgot. (laughs) But, But all those things of, you know, those cold, those moments when you forget the lyric or you fall off the stage or it really helps you prepare for, I mean, anything I had would have gone into, I think my acting years and the experiences I had really, you know, help, help, um, you go, you're, you'll get through this. And actually it's going to be a funny story about five years from now. <laughs> I think it's the best, um, school, uh, ever to, for our industry as well, because everything you just said to me, it's, it's just metaphorical, right? That, that happens mm-hmm. all the time. You know, we, you improvise, you tap dance your way into and out of a situation and you work your way out of it and, uh, you keep moving forward. You know, so I, I just, I absolutely love that. I have one last question for you, Susan. I know we're running out of time and, um, you know, the reason I'm asking this question is because I was just talking to someone. I said, Oh, I'm going to talk to Susan today and. It was a creative person in our, uh, that I met. And they were like, well, you know, ask Susan what she does when she has creative block, because that 
That shit is real. It happens to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when the, when things just shut down, and I was like, okay, I'll save that question for uh, towards the end. So, what do you do? What's that thing? Everyone's got a thing when you have a creative block. Um, what what's your strategy? So, I a couple of things. One, I I don't call it procrastination. I call it percolation. So it's like, I'm not procrastinating, I'm percolating. Things are just up here. And everything I'm looking at is feeding that thing. And at some point, something's going to happen that it all makes sense. Or it doesn't make sense, but it makes interesting. And then the other thing I do is I I talk like this. Like, so I've been, you know, working on a talk, um, like I said, for the ANAs. And I've just made the team come and sit with me. <laughs> And we just chat. And I'm like, what are we going to talk about? What are we trying to find, figure out? What do we want this to be? And in the chatting, in the talking, in the bullshitting, something starts to emerge that feels consistent. And, I've, and I used to do that when I worked on ideas. It was like, let's just vomitorium of words. Just start and, and be stupid. And there's a great exercise um, that when you're stuck, come up with the worst ideas ever. Mm-hmm. So just like if you've got a brief and it's just like, let's just do the worst things possible. Like what would be horrible? Oh, it would be a jellyfish that, you know, falls in love with a shark. And then the shark doesn't like the jellyfish because he's good. I don't know what it is, but just stupid stuff. Get it all out. And what happens is one, you're teaching your body to not over edit. You're teaching your brain to you're reminding your brain just to play. And it's much easier to play when you're not trying to be great. You know, if you're just being stupid. And then once, once you do that, then look at what you've done and try to turn it into a good idea. And it's like magic. The bad idea will lead you to the good idea. It's the weirdest. It's, it's really, it's like Wordle. You're like, how in the world did I get that, that word in three, of all the words in the world, I figured it out in three tries. The bad to good kind of does the same. And then the other thing I do is I just start writing. I just... I just get on the computer and just start, and it's, again, it's that vomitorium that just get it all out and don't edit yourself. There's a, there's the art of creativity, I think is what it's called, but I'm not sure, but it's an exercise that every morning you sit down and you write, but you're not allowed to edit. You're not allowed to think about what you're writing. I mean, you could just start with like, I'm looking at my Yeti cup. There's some sunflowers on my table, but as you do it, it will find shape. And it'll shape the things that you actually have been thinking about. So, yeah, I think sometimes freeing ourselves up to be not good uh, actually gets you to something pretty great. I love it. It's such a beautiful place to kind of bring this discussion to because it's not just something we can actually use in our business. Like I said, you know, I really believe this. And more and more I speak to people like yourself and I am more and more convinced that what's true in life is true in advertising and vice versa, yeah. because yeah. Um, it is true. And I think if we applied this even just to kind of life, to not, there are two things I'm picking up. One, don't over-edit yourself. And second, make a discipline of not over-editing yourself. Make it a habit to not over-edit yourself, because that's when breakthrough thinking is going to come out of it. And um, I think it's just, 
it's 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 an amazing place to 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 be and i hope our listeners are going to kind of apply some of this and you know i love that you have a name for it called the vomitorium i just absolutely adore it <laughs> because yes that is where you know just let it all out and then make a habit of it of doing that all the time and then you know the eggs are running at first but then they will scramble the water will boil it is not possible that it's all just going to stay the way it is so i love that susan I can't even tell you how delightful it's been to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on the program. I'm sure our listeners are going to download this episode and listen to it over and over again. I know I will. So um, it's been an absolute joy and delight to speak with you. And um, I know, like me, our listeners have benefited from listening to your perspective. And um, I just want to say thank you to an amazing person who not only lifts people as she climbs but from what i've picked up if i were to describe you to somebody i'm like susan's the kind of person who'll leave the door just a little wider than she found it when she walked through it and i think it's just such an amazing um joy to be in your company and to have this conversation with you so thank you and to our listeners out there you've been listening to spontaneously candid and if you like what you've heard then please rate review and subscribe wherever you get your podcast cuz it really helps and makes a difference you can find us on apple you can find us on spotify and you can even find us on google and if you work at mccann you can also listen to and download archived episodes on inside mccann i'm harjot singh and thank you for listening until next time goodbye <laughs>